0: This is a Media 8 production. This podcast may have explicit themes and swearing and may not be suitable for children.
1: It's this moment that you're always gunning for and you're always driving towards. And, you know, again, you've been out there for two months and then all you're craving for and wanting for is this day. Then you you get to the end of it. And then this life that you've built and this life that you're used to. So the life at sea, it's really awful in some ways, but then it's so beautiful in other ways because it's simple. You're not going to work, you don't have a phone to answer, nobody's emailing you, nobody's texting you, there's no Instagram, there's no nothing.
0: The world is full of amazing people and once a week I get the opportunity to interview one of them. My name is Brett McCallum and this is Awesome Human. Today's Awesome Human is Eleanor Carey. Eleanor is an Australian adventurer, speaker and writer. Two times world record holder and first Australian female to row the Pacific Ocean. Wow. Modestly describing herself as a young pale ginger woman of barely passable fitness who cries at the drop of a hat this is going to be fun Eleanor's passion is challenging not only the status quo but the many stereotypes associated with extreme thrill-seeking expeditions Eleanor revels in learning and absolutely loves long-distance human-powered journeys including telling their stories of pain and joy she strongly believes in the mantra that an ordinary person who chooses to ...can indeed become capable of extraordinary things. And she definitely practices what she preaches. Eleanor is truly changing the definition of what an adventure is... ...having rode the Pacific Ocean and cycled across Europe. Her venturesome spirit is vast. She is consistently challenging herself beyond the limitations... ...and inspiring others by giving talks on resilience, vulnerability... ...growth, mindset and using adventure as a tool for success or change. I'm so excited to have you in the studio. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. What a great intro. <laughs> hey, look at you, world record holder. I'm in the uh, presence of greatness.
1: Oh, I don't know if I would say greatness, but yeah, I happen to hold two. So. What are the world records? So we were the youngest crew of three uh, to row any ocean in the world and the first crew of three male or female to row the Pacific Ocean.
0: Wow. And when you say row the Pacific Ocean, where did we start and finish?
1: So we started in a little place, Monterey, California, and then all the way out to the Hawaiian Islands, so about 2,400 nautical miles, which is almost 5,000 kilometres.
0: I don't know whether to be really proud of you or see how (laughs) insane you are.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of people that have called me both brave and stupid, so you wouldn't be alone if you were to use those words.
0: I, I love the way that you describe yourself as a young, pale ginger woman of barely passable fitness. Well, it's true. So how did you row from the US to... The U.S., Hawaii.
1: Yeah, yeah, the U.S. The U.S. <laughs> um, just by purely by giving it a go, I found I watched this documentary. I applied to be part of this crew. They rejected me initially because their crew was full, and I thought it was because I was a young pale ginger woman of barely possible. So British. you think
0: it was the whole Ranger <laughs> thing, like we, you know, we're racist yeah. against gingers?
1: Well, that? maybe they're, they're British, so you know who knows if they're worse <laughs> Probably than us or not. Yeah, anyway, um, no, and then they contacted me six weeks before, and they said, "Hey, if you want to, you know, if if you're still still willing, we've lost one of our crew members," and I was like, "Hell, I'll be in that." Wow. So I gave it a, gave it a whirl, and it worked out well.
0: And now you're a dual world record holder. I know.
1: Do you
0: get a a trophy or a plaque or
1: something? We're still waiting on, so we're still waiting on the final verification. So they go through the Ocean Rowing Society and then it goes to the Guinness World Records. So they are, you know, they are true and accurate, but we're still just waiting on the certificate. So it'll be an exciting day when that happens.
0: Who knew there was an Ocean Rowing Society?
1: I I didn't. (laughs) I did not. That's for sure. This is going to be awesome.
0: (laughs) Okay, what i like to start, i like to start at the very beginning. Yeah. Okay, so the first thing I always ask people is what's your first ever memory? How far back can you go?
1: Oh, wow. First ever memory. God, that is a hard question.
0: Always is and I love it. I
1: remember I have some vague memory of being really little and I think I was in a big W with my mum and I think I went to to tug on her skirt or something and then I tugged on someone's skirt and it wasn't her and so I just retreated <laughs> into, into this, you know, there's like wheels of clothing yeah. and I just retreated into the middle and just sat down and I'm like, I don't know where she's gone. <laughs> I don't know if it's the first, but I think it'd be close to. Wow.
0: So you don't know how old you were at the time?
1: I oh, maybe three or four, but
0: yeah. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how you remember this really weird shit? Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm just, just like, oh my God, where's she going? Somebody help me. Mom's I'm just going to hide. <laughs> so really good. Idea. Instead of asking someone, you just hide. Yeah. I was like, I'm
1: now one. I must stay here forever and I can never leave this big W. <laughs>
0: oh, that's awesome. So where were you born?
1: In uh, I was born in Toowoomba, but lived in like lived and grew up in Stanthorpe my whole life. So a little country town, a bit southwest of Brisbane.
0: Okay, and so you went to school there.
1: I did go to school there. So Stanthorpe State Primary School and Stanthorpe State High School. Both my parents are teachers. Yeah. Um, at and those so schools? at uh yeah, although they never taught me, my dad once filled in for a class when I was in high school, and I put my hand up to ask a question. And he ignored me for the whole class. And I got home that day and I was like, Dad, why did you ignore me in class? And he's like, Well, I didn't want to pretend like I was playing favourite. So I was like, I think you did the opposite. It was quite offensive, really.
0: It must be hard for them, though, when your parents are a teacher and then you get there and you get your, uh, your own kid in the class and their mates. I think their mates would be probably even harder.
1: Well, yeah. Well, that was actually one of the most enjoyable parts, I think, because, you know, then teachers have friends who are teachers naturally in, in small country towns. So then, I used to, you know, see all the other teachers outside of school. So I think it actually maybe maybe helped me a bit in the end. Oh, I knew right. that they were all human, really.
0: So, do you remember primary school?
1: Oh, reasonably well. Were yeah, you,
0: were you like a cool kid, or did you have a big group of friends? Or? Uh,
1: look, I don't know. I was. I wouldn't have ever said that I was a cool kid, but I was somebody who was sort of just just friends with everybody. Okay. But yeah.
0: You're the generalist.
1: Yeah, pretty general, and cool. yeah. Did
0: we in trouble a lot, or were you a no, good girl? never? I was I very, very, very obedient. Yeah, <laughs> and
1: it was sort of almost, you know, not wanting to. I think I, I've definitely got a bit of a people pleasing aspect to my personality, which I think sometimes is a good thing and sometimes is not a good thing. And um, I think I just really didn't want to let down my parents. I didn't want to let down the teachers. And yeah, I was would have described myself as very obedient.
0: Obedient. I mm. love that. That's like um, a dog. Um, Yeah. And you do what you're told you Yeah, I did, you know, whatever it was. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose you never wanted to get in trouble because if you got taken to the principal's office. Yeah. And, yeah, you'd be in extra trouble.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, mm. I did not want that.
0: Never thought of that. Mm. There you go. <laughs> and what about high school? Were you the same in high school? Were you very obedient? Yeah, and? the
1: same same again. I look, I really enjoyed school. I I love and still to this day absolutely adore learning. Yeah. Um I get very bored very quickly if I'm not being challenged and learning something new, so I think yeah, school was an environment so that I really nerd? thrived in. Look, I wouldn't have said that I was a nerd.
0: Or a jock? No. We are athletic.
1: I gave sports a go. I, I'd, yep. I'd, you know, never, never tried to get out of it or anything, but I was never exceptional. Like okay. I was never winning any, you know, high jump medals or running medals, but I'd always be in there and give it a whirl.
0: Yeah. yeah. Did you enjoy um, the social aspect of the sport?
1: Yeah, it? I think so. And like, I think I always appreciated the, the physical aspect of, you know, being human, maybe that it's like, you know, all of us have a physical body, whether you're yeah. really exceptional at sports or not, maybe doesn't really matter. Um, but I definitely think that school maybe had too much of a strong emphasis on doing really well at sports to then yeah. be somebody that carried on with sports. I didn't carry on with PE in senior school also because, you know, they force you to choose subjects and things like that. But I think that there's elements of, of sports in school that maybe aren't quite done the best that they could
0: be. So we go back to a 13-year-old Eleanor at high school. Did you ever think you'd be a world record Rower?
1: God, never, ever. <laughs> Even two years ago, I would never have thought that I would have been a world record holding rower, let alone at school. So no, I never would have thought. And and like I said, I, I was very obedient and I, I never would have expected at all that I would have ended up taking the life path that I did And I think I actually spent a lot of years maybe undoing the that uh, obedient nature and following, I (laughs) guess, the the set-out path.
0: Why did you go, I was a really good girl and now I'm just going to go Oh, kind
1: of. Do you know what the thing, the the main thing was that actually broke it down. So I realised, I remember I was at school and I was walking along, I was walking along next to the tuck shop. I was slightly late for class, which was really out of character for me. I remember walking along and this thing just hit me that I was gay, Right. And I remember it being, it just hit me. It was like this it's sentence like, that I'm arrived walking past
0: the tuck shop and go, wow, and it's like bang. I'm gay.
1: And I was just like, and I was like, what the hell was that? Like it was that much out <laughs> of the blue. And then I was like, nah, nah, no, 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 no. And then I buried that. So I was 14. Yeah. And I think I successfully buried it way down in my subconscious, maybe for the next, I don't know, four or five years. Yeah. And then it was eventually, you know, cause I was raised in the most traditional, you know, environment you could, you could possibly ask for. And it was just so out of the blue. And so actually realising that I was gay was the main thing that then made me question everything else in life and the paths that people, you know, that you should take. I'm doing air quotes here that nobody can see. Oh, I think more so maybe when I was older than 18, 19, 20. uh, I think it really stemmed from that, and then being very obedient. I was like, "Well, is that actually how well is that serving me? How well is that serving other people?" Not to say you should go and commit crimes, but you know, just <laughs> just to question the traditional
0: paths, maybe. So when you realize you're gay, rob a bank. Is that what we're saying? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, you know, the, that's, 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 that's the that's the path. That, <laughs> yeah. No, <'cause> it's really <laughs> interesting when you. I've never heard that before. It, it actually just hit me.
1: Yeah, it was almost like a physical, really?
0: a physical feeling. It and was, was that the because most bizarre you saw thing. A girl walk past or? no
1: there was no there was no, not another person inside it wasn't yeah amazing. it wasn't related to another person it had just was this realization that just arrived very suddenly and i was like no no hell no <laughs> no
0: and i couldn't have been more confused by it what was the feeling do you remember that obviously you remember it happening
1: i remember it very clearly do you remember remembering
0: going oh shit i need to hide this oh, it
1: was just this thing that i was just it just completely bewildered me. So I've got two older sisters. They're sort of seven and nine years older than me. So mm-hmm. by the time I'm 13 they're in and in high 20s. school, you know, they're in their early 20s. And, you know, my parents got ma- got married in their mid-20s, you know, been married ever since. Um, And I didn't, like, I didn't know gay people really. I suppose Stanthorpe's
0: and not the uh, gay capital gay, of yeah, Australia. Yeah, that's right. You know, small or country maybe towns. You never
1: know. Oh, who knows? Maybe <laughs> there's uh, this, like, other underbelly that we don't know about. <laughs> Um, so I, I just remember being just so surprised by it and just thinking, looking at my, looking at my family and and everything else and just going, this just, this doesn't make sense. And because you're just taught by, you know, movies and TV and books, it's just assumed that everybody is straight. And that is the, the messaging that you're given, whether you, you realize it or not. So then to get this conflicting piece of information, I was just like, but, but it, it, it makes no sense. This has never been. It's never been given to me as an option that that this could be what was happening. Um, But yet it happened anyway.
0: (laughs) It just happened. It
1: happened, yeah. And
0: were you attracted to boys or anything before that? Like did you have boyfriends or anything like that? Or were you just really hanging out? To be
1: honest, I was never never really interested in in relationships. Mm -hmm. Like I wasn't ever somebody who was, you know, chasing after anyone, whether they were sort of male or female. Like I was really interested, genuinely really interested in school really interested in learning and it just hadn't really occurred to me. I remember sort of seeing other people around me in relationships going, I just, I don't know why, I don't know why they, I don't, why are they even interested? Why, why even want that? that? I so don't get young. it. I don't get it. I just didn't get it for a little yeah. while. So.
0: Isn't that funny? It's, um, it's interesting because my kids are that age now. Yeah. And I, I, I look at them now and, um, they're, they're the same. They're like, they just get on with their day. They've got a big group of friends. They haven't yeah. got boyfriends or anything like that. And, um, yeah, and they're, they're sort of the same. Oh, he's got a boyfriend. She's had one since year eight and all this. Yeah, yeah. Like, I just don't get it. But yep. anyway, one of those things. But that's awesome though. Like to hide it, though must have been hard. I think yeah. when you, when you realised – did you realise, or it just popped in your head and you thought, "Oh, well, that's not me," I'm, and move on? It How'd popped into
1: my head. I think I played it down for a long time did and really just anyone? tried to ignore it. No, absolutely not. I think the first time that I ever said it out loud to anybody, I th- I think I I think it was when I was you know eighteen or nineteen or something wow, like that. A five and it was years. Too, yeah, it was a, it was a long time. I buried that thing well deep in my sub. <laughs> you have no idea. I did such a good job of it. Um, so then I didn't end up, it was a long arc actually. So I didn't end up coming out to my family until I was 21 or 22. Yeah. So it was, you know, it's a solid seven or eight years uh, of, of an arc that it took for me to. to so come did you to go to uni that. after high school? Yeah, I went straight to uni. So I went to uni yeah. when I was 17. I went to an, well, cause my sisters had gone there. I went to an all girls college. Oh, there you go. And, uh, like, and I don't know, I, I think that partially made it worse because yeah. then I sort of felt like you don't want to be same sex attracted yeah. and it still wasn't very common then. Um, Although I was really lucky to to go on and and have a couple of, you know, gay friends who were there and they, you know, fell in love and got married a few years ago and I was a bridesmaid for them. And were they, did
0: they come out in high school or in college?
1: In, no, in in college. Um, Or I think maybe one of them, one of them maybe at the end of school and then the other one it wasn't until college. And did that make you think? And we secretly went on a trip to Mardi Gras once and I told my parents (laughs) I was at a 21st in Brisbane and I'd gotten on a plane to Sydney and was at Mardi Gras. Naughty girl. I told them explicitly, I was like, nobody put any photos of me on Facebook. (laughs) Do not put anything online. I'm not not here.
0: <laughs> oh, I love it. So did you come out to your friends before then?
1: So yeah, sort of my friends had found out first, yeah. and then it wasn't until later that I had, had told my family, so.
0: So you're at college, at an all-girls college. Mm-hmm. What did you study?
1: I studied physiotherapy. Okay. So yeah. I was at school, and again, because I was, I was uh, high-achieving and, and motivated and driven, I wanted to become a doctor. And when I was in year 12, we went to a careers fair, and I said to them, I don't want to study science. What's another thing I can do? you know, that is going to put me on, on the steps towards becoming a doctor, but that comes out with sort of a solid, I don't know, career afterwards. Um, and they said either do pharmacy or do physiotherapy. And so I got into physio and I'd also had these dislocating shoulders that I wanted to figure out how to fix. Have I ever fixed them? No. Do I know how to kind of. Um, so yeah, I went off and did physio.
0: Wow. And so you became a qualified physio?
1: I did, yeah. So I graduated end of 2010 and went and worked in that. I, the very first day, my new grad job was at Bundaberg Hospital and we had this full orientation day and I don't know if it was a sign. I didn't realize it at the time if it was, but I spent the whole day probably not really listening and I drew a world map in the back of my like orientation <laughs> manual and then wrote a list for the next five years, all the countries that I wanted to visit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you're really dedicated to the physiotherapy.
1: Yeah, I was like, all right, I'm here now, but where are we? Where, what's next? What's after this career that I haven't even technically begun yet?
0: So you've come out, you're a qualified come out, I mean mm-hmm. from university. Yeah. You're a, a different one, yeah. <laughs> you're a qualified physiotherapist. You got a job. Do you get your job at Bundaberg Hospital?
1: Yeah, so I had a job there. So I worked in Bundy for about a year and a half. I worked in Rockhampton for a year and then I decided to go overseas to England. So by this stage, I think I'd already gotten I I'd got I I'd gotten really frustrated with the profession of physio because you know, I worked in Queensland Health and there were these, you know, changes and different things that I wanted to make. Like I was um sort of identifying these different things or identifying that the profession was limited in terms of the type of help that people required and then the type of help that you could actually deliver them through physio. Like it was really only solving such a small area of the problem. I also got out of uni and saw the doctors working in hospitals and just thought, "Nah, you could not pay me any money to go on and and pursue that path. And so... that's a long time, isn't it? That's a really long time. And even then you're still very limited like of course we need doctors are incredible i'm not saying that but i think in terms of my w- what i wanted to do and the way that i wanted to maybe impact the world i wanted to maybe just have a broader ability to be able to do that and more flexibility to be able to do that and i don't think health careers are the most you know you can't be a physio and then go and you know do psychology on people like they kind of frown on that <laughs>
0: You move the body, not the brain. That's right. <laughs> so yeah, that's yeah, one of those things. Two completely different <laughs> things. So we're at, um, we've now moved on. We're in a career, yes. and then you're sitting there going, "This is not for me." Yeah, and I, you know, it just yeah. Was I th- think you wasted all that time at college? Like, did that ever pop in your head and go?
1: Definitely not college. College was amazing because it was where we went home to at the end of the day, end of the day from uni. And uni still, it's still really incredible. I, I don't know. Sometimes when I think about it, I wouldn't have gone to uni at all. And then other times when I think about it, I wouldn't have changed it at all. And it's hard. It's one of those sliding doors moments, I suppose. But I just—I knew that there was going to be there was going to be another career. There was going to be another something or other after. I'd always wanted to travel, so I went off to England, and I did some contracts over there. I think after twenty twelve as a physio still. As a physio still. So, but after twenty twelve, I never took I, and have never taken another permanent job as a physio. It was all okay. just contracts. Just yeah. going. No, don't don't lock me in. Nobody locked me into into this thing, and it was. And so I'd, I'd arrived in England. It was Christmas Day. I didn't really know anybody there yet. It's freezing cold. I'm staying in this, like, studio hospital <laughs> accommodation. And I'd found this book. I found this book in a bookstore during the week, and it was called Cycling Home from Siberia, about these two guys that you know, they cycled home to England from Siberia, and they've got these, like, snot icicles hanging <laughs> off their faces. And I just read this book, and I was like, oh, my God, this is the best thing I've ever read. So they
0: physically cycled Physically from cycled,
1: so bicycles. And I just remember reading that and I, for some reason, I don't know why I didn't know this, but I, I'd, I'd never absorbed this kind of, I don't know, information before where people used their own human power to cross such vast distances of land. And I didn't know that it was possible. And then I read this book and I was like, oh, my God, well, you can do this? You're allowed to do this? Nobody told me that this is something <laughs> that you're allowed to do. So it was another thing that was breaking down the – you know, I'm doing air quotes here, the regular pathways that you're supposed to take, then I'm like, hell yeah, I want to go and cycle across some countries. I want to go and do some of that kind of thing. Like, that's what I want to do.
0: So when you landed in England, were you a different person than you were when you left Australia? Do you think? Uh,
1: I don't know that... I- well, yes and no. The first thing that happened when I got to England, I was I was supposed to go and be a physio in London, but then a week after I got there, we had this surfing yoga trip booked in Morocco. As you do. And yeah, because, you know, I've just arrived in Europe. Of course, you're <laughs> going to go and do like a little traveling first. And we had this surf yoga week. And I remember leaving this little town called Tagazut. I remember leaving that town. And I was so sad after a week. It was like leaving a part of me behind. It was this incredible feeling that you just, I just had this affinity to this place. And so I actually applied to the surf hostel and I said, oh, hey, if you need a volunteer, like I'd be happy to stay. And they were like, oh, no, no, we're, we're full. We get a lot of applications. So I was like, okay, maybe it's not meant to be. So three weeks later we were in Portugal and we stopped in this random square on the way home from dinner and I sat next to this random guy and we started talking and he's like, oh, I was in Morocco. And I said, I was in Morocco. And he said, I was managing the surf hostel in Tagazut. And I said, oh, my God, that's where I was. And he said, well, I've just left and they need somebody. Do you want, do you want me to contact them? Do you, do you want to have my job? And I said, yes, please. So it's just some
0: random dude. Com-
1: it was completely, every single part of it was wow. just a coincidence. Well, I don't, I don't actually believe in coincidence, yeah, yeah. but it was very serendipitous. And so then a week later, I jumped on a plane back to Morocco and I stayed there for three or four months running the surf hostel. So it was wow. another time of just stepping off the the path of, I remember doing this Facebook post that was like, I've got a physio job in London. And by physio job, I mean running a surf hostel. And by <laughs> London, I mean Morocco. <laughs> Everyone's like, What? <laughs>
0: So before you left to go to London, how'd you break it to your family that you were gonna move overseas? Uh,
1: I'd always spoken about it. My elder sister Megan, she gone over to, to London to work as well. So that was a completely there was there was never any resistance or yeah. any worry about that. They were perfectly they were happy and fine. And I'd been over like... to Europe during school. Um I'd studied Italian and we'd done a couple of exchanges overseas, which I was super lucky to be able to do. So yeah, that wasn't any, any of any worry. Thing. Oh, yeah.
0: okay, cool. So let's go back to where we were, we've come out of university and um, you, you come out to your parents. Mm-hmm. Um, what, how'd that go? What happened? Do you remember?
1: Yeah. So I actually did. Um,
0: did your sisters know first?
1: No, they didn't. So I, so I was living in Bundaberg. Both my sisters happened to be there at the time. It was the only time when we've all, as grown up, so we've all lived in the same place at the same time. as this six-month period. And I did – so I actually spent six months seeing a psychologist Mm -hmm. before I could get to the stage where I could actually tell them. Why is that? So
0: it was – Why do you think you had to see a psychologist?
1: So I think it comes back to – so my family – they're very progressive, very accepting people. So actually when I look at the situation subjectively now that that a lot of time has passed, I don't think I ever should have been worried about the way that they were to react. But the reason why I was so worried about how they were going to react, I thought I was going to be kicked out of the family. I thought I was going to lose them. And the reason why that is, is is because the stories that are told about, you know, young gay people predominantly in, in TV shows or in, and in movies, they're often these, you know, these, these dropkick kids who do ultimately get kicked out of, yeah. out of their homes and that's a really frequent story. It was like a stereotype that, told. that you having yeah. in your head. Wow. This, because it, it, it's prolific and, you know, there were really no, I can't remember growing up ever seeing, you know, just a happy, well-adjusted gay couple you know, who were just working their normal working lives. It's Thinking always these. back, yeah,
0: there's nothing right. on telly or anything, was there? Yeah, it's better then. now. There's still yeah, yeah. a lot of
1: work to be done. But, you know, it was, I just thought that if you're a gay person, then the automatic path that is going to happen is you're going to be rejected by your family. You're not going to have that support network anymore. Uh, you'll be lucky to keep a few of your friends probably. And I just, I truly believed that that was going to be the situation. Wow. So what actually happened? I don't actually know Must that I told my family this properly, but so I'd actually They'll gotten the now. job. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. I actually got a job up in Rockhampton and I told them a week before I moved to Rockhampton the whole reason why I got the job up there and why I coincided the timing uh, of telling them was was to mitigate the fact that if they cut off contact with me, then I'm moving first. I'm leaving. So it was complete risk Mitigation strategy, basically, to wow. to protect myself. Yeah. To go, okay, I am going to leave. I am going to tell them, and then they were amazing. Like my parents and I, we, you know, they were they were surprised a bit, um, but you know, ultimately we cheered with champagne or something afterwards, <laughs> and you know, there were some emotional adjustments that that they sort what of went the through. But psychologist
0: teacher during this period, because obviously there is prior to you telling them,
1: yeah. So um, you walk
0: into the psychologist because I've seen a psychologist. Yeah. And I think a lot of well people known. have. It's a very and normal thing to do. It is. Yeah. But the thing is it's um like it's it's difficult because yeah. you you walk into a psychologist's office and you sit, I, I expect it to lay on one of those chairs. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and tell them all my life's problems. No, but you sit there and they just have a chat to you and yeah. so do you sit there and say, Look, I'm really concerned my family's gonna kick me out of the family if I tell them I'm gay? is that how that starts? yeah
1: i don't actually mem- i don't actually remember the in- what the initial what we sort of spoke about in in that initial section i do remember i broke down crying in the gp's office originally when they you know they referred me and they put me on a mental health plan and yada 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 which i was just struggling i think from keeping this this secret inside yeah. for so long um but then the 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 finished product i suppose of the the psychologist visits was, so it was me actually scripting out what I was going to say to my parents. It was your preparation. And it was practicing. Yeah, it was complete preparation. It was very specific. And, you know, I practiced delivering the speech to him. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, we'd set the day, we'd set the time. It was all very well planned out because I think I really would have struggled to execute on it, on it otherwise. Um, and, you know, and I, I hadn't, by this point when I was coming out, I'd never been in a relationship with a woman, not even yeah. close. Um, and so what about with the man? Uh, yeah, I had dated men for bits and pieces, but again, it was sort of like, I remember, you know, this, I I remember just being epically confused as to why they actually wanted to spend time with me and hang out with me. I'd be like, (laughs) why does he keep calling me? This is so annoying. (laughs) And I was like, people are mental if they like being in relationships because this is awful. So I was just had this completely wrong end of the stick to what a relationship actually was eventually have, have come around to what they actually are. (laughs) That's good. Well done. Um, but yeah, it was this practice of, of you know, and, and scripting and, and planning it out and, and executing on this plan. That was what the the ultimate culmination of it was, which has actually been a really useful strategy going forward in life, I think, in preparing for any kind of difficult conversation. Yeah. So as much as it's a, you know, I think it's a it's a shame that it was so difficult to come out as a gay person, but then it has set me up for so many of the other things that I've done and it has completely changed and modified my way of thinking. So
0: it's it much given it you the sense of sort of freedom and you can do whatever you want now?
1: Yeah, that's right. And it's sort of like, well, if I can get through that and if I can come to terms with that, you know, part of myself, then, you know, the the world is quite literally my oyster. There's nothing, you know, and it's like my my family isn't going to be surprised about anything anymore. You just keep pushing the boundaries and it becomes more and more okay.
0: <laughs> do, you remember, do you remember when you told them and you realised that actually they're not going to kick me out of the family and actually they all love me and we just cheered on it?
1: What yeah. Was that like a
0: shock or was it more of a... Oh, thank fuck for
1: that. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I don't think I'd ever, I don't think I'd really planned or had any expectations for what was going to happen after the conversation. Okay. I was just purely I was waiting I'm to see move to what Hampton happened. If I have to and, know, I did, and I did. And I did move. I did move the next week. Yeah. Um. And then we had to tell my sisters and we told them that night and they were completely fine and they'd half expected it anyway. So okay. then that was, you know, and then, you know, they made some hilarious jokes and all the rest <laughs> of it. So it As the, sisters Broke too. the tension. Yeah. <laughs>
0: And then, so then you moved to Rocky yep. and did you find love? No, definitely not. I went
1: on a, um, I went, went on a bad, it was like the, <laughs> some of the only online dating I've ever done and I, I'd been messaging this girl and we we went and met it was like on some it was they were she was fire twirling or something and it was nighttime and it was dark and it was a park and i phoned one of my friends and she was actually live on the phone in my pocket like in case i was going to get murdered i look back on this and i'm like in what realm did i ever think this is a good idea anyway so she walks across the the field
0: twirling and,
1: fire like yeah twirling fire in this like you know in this white singlet that was like dirty and she and then she opened her mouth and she didn't really have any teeth and I was just like, man, this hasn't gone the way I, the way I thought. So my number one online dating tip is make sure people have their mouth open in photos. If Good teeth idea. are a high check priority, the teeth, they don't have the to be, but you know, uh-huh. that's a, a thing that you can check for. I didn't really online date after that.
0: And did she teach you how to 12 fire though?
1: I left very quickly. It was like 6pm and I was just like, oh look, I've got, I've got a really, I've got an early morning tomorrow at work. I got to, I've got to go. See ya.
0: I, I'm actually a dentist. so he's Yeah. <laughs>
1: Oh, that's awesome. I just
0: love the fact that um, your parents are so sort of supportive yeah. and the fact that your family – and it's amazing how many people out there. Like my best mate come out to me, um, but we'd known forever. It was yeah. one of those things. It yep. was like, really? It's like, yep. And I think he was more devastated that we weren't devastated yeah. than because than we were all prepared for like – he was married for 15 years but still came out Yeah, and yeah, yeah. we all knew. And, and he's going, you're not upset? Why would I be upset? I love you. You're my best mate. Yeah. Like one of those things I think – you get it all so mixed up in your head and it's just one of those one of those things. But I think also seeing the psychologist helps you through life. Absolutely. Like it changed my life because I can now do stuff that I don't ponder on, I just do it. Yeah. And things that I shouldn't care about, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those sort of things they teach you. I think it's amazing.
1: And people, you know, I think, the, I think the stigma is definitely decreasing, but I think the more we can spread that message. Like, look, you take physiotherapy, for example, if you've got a sore knee, you go and see a physio, you go get it fixed. If there's something that, you know, if you're having trouble with decision making or you're upset about something, whatever it is mentally that's going on, it happens to absolutely everybody 100%. and it is a completely normal thing to then go and see a psychologist to get some assistance. Head with that. Everybody, yeah. So the more I think that we can help people feel okay with that kind of thing and the yep. more we normalise seeing psychologists and, and that kind of thing, the better off everyone's going
0: to be. I agree 100%. So let's go back to Morocco. Mm-hmm. We're now in charge of a surf yoga <laughs> retreat. <laughs> yeah. What the hell is a surf yoga retreat? So
1: it was, so the one I ended up, it was just a surf hostel. The yoga place was, was it another oh, okay. one. Um, Did you and surf? And so surf I didn't place? surf before, but you bet your ass I learned. <laughs> um, so yeah, we just went out. We went surfing every day. There were all of these, you know, nomadic hostel travelers that came through and we just got to like drink tea on the roof. And <laughs> I just pick, pick restaurants for us to go to every night and Gosh. do surf guiding. So luckily there was this girl, Maddie, who was there at the same time. And so she was from Byron Bay and had surfed all her life. Okay. So she was the like surf scout. Yeah. And then I sort of did some of the other logistics. But together, yeah, we just took people on these like awesome surfing trips. It was, and it's like that what a great months, way to It live. was so amazing. It was like some of the best time of my life. And did you get paid for that? No, but we got free board, free surfboard, free food. So <laughs> it was just basically net, you know, zero living cost.
0: Just to chill out. In Mor- oh, that's yep. so cool. And
1: talk to the coolest people.
0: <laughs> and those people you met, do you still in contact with any of them?
1: bits and pieces. Um, yeah, I've seen a couple of them, like caught up with a couple of them in London. And um, yeah, I need to catch up with Maddie, actually. So yeah, we're not in close contact, but yeah. 100% I would love to see them all. So.
0: That's awesome. What a great time in your life. Yeah. Though, and sort of, especially when you just arrive in London and go, bugger it, I'm just going to go to Morocco. You're on like, this certain. is a once
1: in a lifetime opportunity. Yeah. And you know, this, this many coincidences when I found that guy in the square in Portugal, That's I was like, bizarre. this is meant to be. If I don't go, something really bad is probably going to happen to me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Someone's telling me something. That's
1: right. This is a message. So why did you leave there
0: after four months? Months.
1: Well, because my my two friends who I spoke up before they got well, they were getting married at home in Australia, and so ah. I stayed until it was like November or something. So then I flew home to Australia, and then I thought, okay, let's go to England and give that give that old chestnut a whirl. So, yeah. Yep.
0: And how long were you we in England for? Uh,
1: I was then in England, so I had a two year visa, but I spent about the first four or five months, but in Morocco. So then I spent about eighteen months there.
0: Oh, nice! And did you enjoy it?
1: Yeah, it was really good. It, you know, it's amazing there the the proximity to Europe, everything else. It's one hundred percent would recommend it.
0: It's, uh, we did 10 years there. Oh, wow. So we went for six months and come back 10 years later with Wow, two kids. that is a good stint. Yeah, it was. And it just got <laughs> too much in the end. It's a long time in the cold. Where were you? Uh, in London. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. but we travelled around the world. It was great. Yeah. Such a good spot. It's, uh, it's amazing. So we've read this book about these two dudes with big snot hanging out their nose. It's frozen. <laughs> and they've travelled from Siberia to the UK on a push bike. Yeah. And you're now thinking, I've done the Morocco bit. I'm in London what do we do next?
1: So it was actually, so I I never actually ended up in London. I was down in Plymouth doing a physio job down there. And then, so it was from there. It took took me about a year before I booked the flight, but I booked this one-way flight over to, well, when I was planning it, I thought, okay, let's cycle across England. And then I thought, oh, but France is really close by, so maybe I should do a bit of that. And then I thought, I've never been to Belgium. I've never been to the Netherlands. (laughs) And then all of a sudden in the process of 24 hours, it's gone from cycling across England to, to, I've booked a one-way flight to Norway in like April or something like that. And I just thought, okay, let's go. I have no idea whatsoever if I'm going to make it. I don't know if I'm going to like it on my own. Yep. And I just thought, right, if I'm, so, you know, through Physio, I spent a lot of time with elderly people and I remember meeting so many elderly people that had regrets. And I looked at this trip and I thought, I have no idea if I'm capable of doing this. I've never cycled probably more than 20 or 30 kilometers in my life. Um, but I thought, right, if I fly to Norway and let's say if I get three or four days down the road and if I hate it and I want to get on a flight home, then that's fine. And at least I know when I'm 90 that I'm, I'll be really pleased that I at least gave it a go. And I found out one way or another, if it was something that I actually liked in reality.
0: Where'd you get the bike?
1: I bought it from. There was this couple in Plymouth that they'd bought these matching bikes, and he rode his bike a lot. But then the the lady never really rode hers, and, and so I like bought like this bike bikes? secondhand. Like no, r- it was it
0: was a hybrid bike. Okay, yeah. And so we're thinking, okay, I've got a bike now. Yep. Uh, bought what the do, panniers. What do I take with me.
1: Yeah. So I bought the bought the waterproof panniers to put on the back, and you know, spent a bit of money on, on the other stuff. And then one day I was doing my, we were doing like our Wednesday night shopping or something. And there's a supermarket in England called Little. It's kind of like a, I don't know, like Aldi, but maybe a little bit more budget again. Yeah, yeah. And they were selling. They've got that central part of the the shop, you yeah. know, where there's the random the stuff stats. that changes every yeah. two days that everybody's so excited <laughs> about. And they were selling tents. And I thought, oh, this is perfect. I need a tent, so I bought this tw- this tent for like twenty pounds. It felt like cellophane, and it was the like worst decision ever when I'd spent decent money on everything else. But I was just like, oh, the tent's not it. Shelter's not important. Who cares about shelter? <laughs>
0: So, you've got the tent. Yep. You've got our, we've got our little bags on the side. Yep. You've got all your stuff with you. Yep. Do you leave your stuff in England. So, I did get rid of everything now and I'm just me and my bike.
1: No, so I still had stuff in England. And then, but yeah, so I just shipped. So, yeah, like packed down the bike. So, you've just got to make it as flat as possible and put it in a bike. I'd never disassembled a bike in my <laughs> life. And was, I think we broke a spanner, <laughs> like trying to get one of the pedals off. And so, shipped it over and then just had one of those you know, those disposable checkered kind of plastic oh, yeah. bag things. Uh, and one of those, and I threw, and then I was in the airport in Oslo and I rebuilt my bike under this staircase. And I remember thinking like, okay, this in will take airport. in the inside the <laughs> airport and people kept walking past this going, what the hell is she doing? And I remember thinking, I was like, okay, it wasn't that hard to take apart. This will maybe take me an hour to put back together again. So it was maybe midday when I arrived four five <laughs> o'clock in the afternoon. I'm still trying to put this <laughs> freaking bike together. And then I put it together and then I needed to go to the bathroom. And I was like, well, what if someone steals my bike? And there was all these eventualities that I hadn't thought of. <laughs> so it's like my, I remember my first, my first thing is I'm inside the airport still is like wheeling my bicycle with me, like into the disabled <laughs> toilet <laughs> so that nobody stole it. And then I got the janitor to like take a photo of me inside the airport, which is like really blurry. <laughs> and I got halfway down the road and the front wheel was on like backwards. And oh dear. so I look, but you know, you, this is the thing, right? People think you've got to be prepared and look, the better prepared, I'm not going to deny, the better prepared prepared. you are, the better it's going to be. However, I think if you try to be too prepared or too well-trained, I think sometimes if that stops you from going and doing the thing in the first place, Just go and try the thing and see what happens because, you know, in the end, you're probably going to be able to figure it out.
0: You just get on with it, don't you? Yeah,
1: exactly. So be as prepared as possible, but don't let that preparedness and training actually stop you from going and doing the thing because that's the worst thing I think that can happen.
0: So when you have arrived in Oslo, how fit are you?
1: Oh, like I I wasn't terribly unfit, but I wasn't also super fit. You weren't match fit. No, definitely not. (laughs) And then so a lot of like I'd been reading and devouring voraciously these, you know, any kind of adventure books and adventure blogs. And there's one guy, um, Alistair Humphreys, Al Humphreys, you should follow him on Instagram and Twitter and things. He's doing a cycle trip around Britain at the moment. And I remember, I think it was one of his blogs and it was the same sentiment. And it was, if you're, even if you're not super fit, if you can get, you know, 10, 20 kilometers on the first day, awesome. And then, you know, you've got your gear, you can camp, you can figure it out. And then you'll build a lot of fitness on the way. So at the beginning, I think my first day was maybe the first full day uh, after I'd camped the first night because it was too late to really go too far. Uh, At the airport? Actually, no. (laughs) I got 10 kilometers down the road and I pulled in at a service station and I asked them, I was like, are there any campsites near here? And meanwhile, it's snowy there. I didn't even know that it was going to (laughs) be snowy. That's how little I'd, I'd checked. And then I also didn't somehow I didn't know that it was Easter, so they were like, "Oh, everything's closed. The campsites aren't even open yet." And so the girl who worked at the service station ended up offering for me to keep my bike at the service station, and she took me home for the night with her, oh, really? with her housemate, and we like ate pizza, and then she drove me to like twenty <laughs> k's back to the service station the next day, and I carried on. And I'm sitting out there in this house and just thought, you know, this isn't how I thought it was going to go, <laughs> but this is amazing. And then she took me like sightseeing, we did all these things. Oh, wow! So these are the things that happen when you don't have it to. See, they have a plan. That's good. And so I think the next day I did maybe 50 kilometers. And by the end of it, it might have taken me a month, but then by the end of it, I could do like 120 kilometer days. And you build that fitness as you go. So it doesn't really matter, you know, what state you're in at the start. If you can get on a bike and you can do a bit of cycling, or whether it's a hiking adventure or whatever yeah. it is. If, you, if, if it's going to be a long-distance adventure, you've got time to build the fitness as the you go. Through.
0: You don't have and to be fit before you go.
1: Exactly. Makes like, sense. again, it's the, the, the more fit you can be, sure, the better it is. Yeah, but yeah. don't let that stop you from going and getting on the bike in the first place.
0: So did you have it planned then? Okay, I know I can do 50Ks. Yep. So you've got your map. Um, no, I,
1: no, I didn't have a map.
0: Okay, well, there's a road. <laughs> yeah, there's a road
1: <laughs> there in front of me. Yeah, A big
0: one. Yeah. So we'll go down this one. Did you have a plan where you were going that night?
1: No, not really. Or well, just when
0: you started to get a bit buggered, you thought, oh, will go and find somewhere to camp." Like, I think it
1: was really, it was really just planning. You know, every every morning, um, or when I had sort of ser- Wi-Fi or whatever, I'd just have a bit of a look on the map and. There might be a couple of options in terms of towns and things like that. But the beauty is carrying all of your gear with you that if you need to wild camp somewhere or there were days where I'd just come across the most incredible campsite yeah, and it might have only been halfway through the day and I just thought, you know, oh, I'm definitely here. stopping here. This yeah. is amazing. So there was always a vague, it was never planned sort of more than 24 hours in advance apart from the the starting destination was Oslo and then the finishing destination was Plymouth. <laughs> um, you know, that a lot and of the, between, just let vaguely takes. go in the right direction. Yeah. And yeah, there wasn't a plan for how long it was going to take. And it was very much just see how, see how the legs are feeling. See how my, you know, your butt gets really sore. Like see how my butt's coping yeah. with it today and all that kind of thing.
0: And during this time you're on your own the whole time? Yes, I was on my own. Yep. And do you meditate?
1: No, I do now, yeah. but I didn't then.
0: Okay. So how did you keep the demons out of your head? Um. Or did you get the demons?
1: I def- I think the demons were a lot worse before I left. The times when the demons were the worst was when I was starting to tell people, you know, at work and things like that, what I was going to go out and do. And then they're just like, you're going to what? Like, why? And then there was so many instances where people were just like, oh, my God, you're a girl going on your own. You're going to get murdered. You're going to get, you know, raped. Yeah. You're going to whatever, all these different eventualities. And it's actually mental, the the things that people think are going to happen in terms of, you know, particularly when you think of murder, for example. It's people don't get murdered on a random country road in Norway in the (laughs) middle of the day. There's not actually axe murderers that are wandering around just trying to murder completely random people. And if you drive. Especially
0: redheads. They don't don't murder redheads. They're like, don't.
1: Um, And, you know, the the other part about risk, and this has happened with every kind of adventure that I've done, that people are just like, oh, my God, but it's so risky. And I just feel like, you know, if you drive a car to work in the morning or if you drive on a highway or a motorway, like don't talk to me about risk. Yeah, of course. Because that's the situation probably where we're almost at risk. It's not cycling on a back country road in Norway. That's yeah. not actually a risky thing to do, but it really scares the crap out of people. That's amazing, so then that kicks that? off more of the demons in my head when you yeah. get resistance from, from other people and people are projecting their their it's their own opinions their and their negativity. own fears onto you. But yeah, I've gotten better with dealing with that with time though,
0: too. So when you moved from country to country during this cycling expedition, did you sort of celebrate each country? Like, did you, is there like a border? Do you realise yeah. you moved now from Norway into the next country into the next?
1: Yeah, there there is. Or each, you know, each one's different. It depends what kind of, you know, road you're on at the time or if you're just on sort of a quiet path. But yeah, there was always like a bit of celebration each time. Yeah. And I guess that's the beauty of doing a cycling trip in somewhere like Europe as well—that you Pretty do cool. get to you cross countries every <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know week or so. Yeah, yeah. So no, it was amazing, and yeah, there was always a bit of you know stop and treat myself to like a you know cold coke or something in <laughs> <and> the next <laughs> place.
0: I love it. So, how long did the t- journey take? I think the cycle trip was fifty six days. Fifty six, and you hadn't had any plans on how long it would take. Yeah?
1: No, not exactly. No. Right, <clears> so <throat>
0: two months were on the road, mm-hmm. and uh, did you get the ferry across, or did you go on the train?
1: Yeah, so I got – so there was a ferry between – to get from uh, Sweden to Denmark, the a little quick one, you know, yeah. to get me into Copenhagen. And then there was a ferry from Roscoff in France over to Plymouth.
0: Okay. Yeah. And then you've arrived back in Plymouth mm-hmm. and did you ride right around sticking your fingers up at everyone saying, no, no, I did it, and told yeah. yourself, I would have. No,
1: it? not really. <laughs> That's
0: <laughs> just me. <laughs> <laughs> now, obviously, but, you would have been proud of yourself, though.
1: Uh, yeah, like – and it was definitely the idea with that cycle trip I honestly, I I barely took any photos. I didn't really, I think I I was tweeting about it, but then not a lot of my friends and family were were even on Twitter. Like I remember purposefully I didn't put it on my personal Facebook because I didn't actually want to pester people. I didn't really want them necessarily to know too much what I was about. I did one Facebook post at the start and I said, look, if you happen to be interested in following the journey, I'm going to be posting it on Twitter over here. And then I really didn't put a lot else on it uh, Uh about it on Facebook. So that journey was very much it was very much about the internal journey it was about me just finding out who i was and what i wanted so i really didn't care at all what anybody else had to had to say about it. i wouldn't have wouldn't have cared if no if nobody else had even known i known i had done it yeah. i still would have done it exactly the same way
0: so you arrived back in plymouth are you now actually i've done it now i feel better in myself or do you think what's next
1: so i think look the reason why i did that cycle trip the other like i guess internal reason was right i've got to figure out what career's next And I thought I was going to go on this cycle trip and I'd come out and I would have the answer (laughs) would be completely clear and it will have arrived and I'd have this plan. I had no, I still had no idea. I absolutely none. Um, So, yeah, it is funny with these long distance journeys because you think that you come out the other end changed. And in a sense you do, but in a sense you also come out and you're exactly the same as who you were before. So it's this, it's hard to explain actually.
0: So we're now back in Plymouth. Are we staying there for a little while or are we like pack I up? Think I think I
1: had a couple – I think I maybe had a month or two left on my visa and yeah. then I returned home to Australia. So pretty, pretty well returned home to Australia. What did you
0: do with the bike?
1: I've still got it. I shipped have it you? I shipped it home. It's <laughs> currently sitting in. So I've been pretty nomadic for the last six months. So yeah. I was at my sister's place in Bundy and then my dad, he cycles a lot. He loves bikes. And he thought, I'm going to take your bike home to Stanthorpe where it's not exposed to the sea air. So he's currently <laughs> caring for Mikey the Bikie is his name. Mikey. He's still a very good friend of mine. Yeah, And I think I will maybe have Mikey for the rest of my I, I couldn't, you know, what am I going to, he was my best friend out there. He's amazing. <laughs> did you talk to him on the way? Yeah, absolutely. It's like, you know, we, so I guess when you say, <laughs> did I do it with anyone? The answer is no, but. I guess it's weird how you can personify (laughs) almost objects around you when you are alone and give them, uh, you know, look, not to sound too much like a crazy person, but he's very special to me.
0: I'm sure he is. He's gone a long way. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) And so then what was the next adventure?
1: So the next adventure, I more just did like little random bits and pieces when I got home to Australia, but then it wasn't until. So for me.
0: Did you get a job? I did. I did.
1: I got a, got a, well, I got a contract back at Bundaberg, um, hospital again, because my sister was still there. I've got two little nieces who were up there and I hadn't seen them for the full like two years awesome. really when I was away. So I was like, okay, let's go back. We'll get a contract for a little bit. And it was, supp- I was supposed to be in Bundaberg for two or three months. And then I met my now partner Kat there. And so she was a physio in the hosp- in the physio department. I was a physio there as well. And so then so we how met. So that meeting happen? Come well, on. just through work. I've Always just... the best place to, to meet romantic <laughs> partners. I'm sure our boss would be happy to know. Um, and then I ended up opening I ended up opening a business in Bundaberg. We bought a house together there. Um, and so I'd gone from this plan of being in Bundy just for a month or two, yeah, do to a quick contract, spend some time with my nieces, to now being like, oh, my God, I've never been more tied down in all my life. <laughs> what is this? What is this business?
0: And what was your first date like with Kat? Did you ask her or did she ask you?
1: Well, so, so we'd sort of been, I don't know, I guess flirting for a couple of months. Yeah. And but then she'd never had a had a relationship with a woman previously and I was sort of just like, Oh, she's she's definitely keen, but she didn't really realise that she was keen for a little bit. <laughs> um and so at one point I kissed her and she was very yeah. surprised and I didn't quite know why she was so surprised. And then I let her come to me the next time and she was like, You know, do you wanna go for dinner or something? And I was just oh, like, Yes. No nice. So yeah, it was a it was it took yeah it was it was a bit of a it was a slow burn but it was very worth it. And you're still <laughs> together now. Still together now, yeah. Oh, how long's that been? Uh, so it'll be coming up to four years soon. Well, congratulations. Yeah. Oh, thank you.
0: <laughs> so you stayed in Bundy.
1: So we stayed in Bundy. So again, Kat, you know, she'd never really intended to stay in Bundy long term. I hadn't intended to stay in Bundy long term, but then I started this business. So it was an innovation hub and co working space up there. Even though I'd never been in business before, mm-hmm. I thought, I'm going to start a business that helps other businesses. That's a well great done. thing to
0: do. Well done.
1: Um, and so then I, I sold that business at the beginning of this year, and then we went down to Tassie, we've been doing a bit of traveling earlier this year. So we ended up staying in Bundy. It was, yeah, almost three years.
0: So what are you doing on the Gold Coast?
1: Well, right. Today I'm here just chatting you come to you. you here talking to me? <laughs>
0: Excellent. Thank you very much.
1: So I'm, I'm based mostly in Brisbane at the moment. Cat's based up in Darwin doing a six-month contract, but then at the moment I am... Uh, so working a couple of days at QUT, doing some entrepreneurship work there. Excellent. And then for the rest of my week, I'm spending my time. I'm writing my second book at the moment. I'm working on the plan to release the first book, which I finished, which is about the cycle trip actually. So yeah. if you, yeah, if anyone's is it interested in Mikey hearing the about the, bike-y? the cycle, No, it, maybe it should have been. So it's called Saddle Saw. That's <laughs> fair <laughs> cool. Yeah. Um, so Saddle Saw One, uh, One Woman's Cross Continental Escape from the Nine to Five is the title. So it's um, nice short title. Yeah, pretty sure. Well, it's like you know, the rest of it's like a subtitle, I yeah, suppose. But it yeah, explains yeah. the sentiment, I suppose. So, what
0: made you write the book?
1: Um, somebody told me to. Oh, who was that cat? No, well, oh. actually, it was somebody <laughs> called Cat, but not this Cat. I went to went for a month over to Bali into this. It was a co working space called Hubud into this sort of startup kind of program, and I went into it with a few other business ideas, and then came out of it with actually wanting to open a space myself. Yeah. And while I was out there, so I was out there for about 4 weeks and people just kept saying, you know, if you've been on this journey and, you know, a really good way to be able to tell that story like if you ever thought of writing a book, and I had, but I thought, you know, I'll write a book in maybe 10 or 20 years, yeah, when I'm old. And they were just like, no, 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 you need to write you need to write the book now. And so they'd spent this time convincing me so then I spent the last 6 months, I think of 2016, writing this book. And then it's sort of been sitting there a little bit idle and a little bit dormant because I think you know it's a hard thing. You know, you've you've released a book as well, i have yeah. And I don't know how you found it. Sorry, I've,
0: I've pre-released a book. I haven't re- released it properly yet. all oh, right okay. Well, maybe we <laughs> can. Maybe we need to talk after <laughs> this about strategy. Because
1: you know, yeah. um, cause, you know I, I found the prospect of it anyway. It's releasing this part of you out into the out yeah. into the world, and it's. Very personal, and so I think I put it on the back. But well, I was working on a lot of other stuff as well, but I had really delayed uh releasing that one. So I got the first printed copy it in my hands. You yeah, do that. so she read every chapter, like you know, every time that I you know finished a said, chapter, I give it to her to write. Don't do that, my wife. No, did that. never. So I gave
0: my wife a copy of the yeah. book, and then she said, "No, no, no, no." Yeah, Because right. yeah. I wanted because obviously a lot of it, as you say, is very personal, yeah. and there's some stuff in there. And she's there going, not karma will bite you on the ass if you write that. You can't do that. You can't name that person. You can't do that. And it was actually a really good in the end because then when the book was finished, um, she'd approved it. And yep. it was like, actually, I can now release this. And then we sat on it for a year after that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because you sit there going, oh, my well, God. What do I do? What do I do? do yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, no,
1: because it was, I think, well, maybe then adventure writing is a little bit different because it was all stuff that had happened on that particular, you know, it's it's sort of, I guess there's life learnings embedded into it, but a lot of it are the stories that actually happened during that adventure. So I guess luckily it didn't, there's not really stories, I guess, that concern other people. There's a lot of things, I guess, that I would really love to write about in my lifetime that do concern other people, but then that really scares me because then you are, you know, yeah, I I feel like that's a hard thing to do when the stories actually concern others. So I haven't had to come across that hurdle yet because it has been adventure writing. So I guess that's maybe the beauty of it, but. Yeah, releasing it is. Um, it's going to be an interesting, an interesting ride. I'm still sort of, I guess, about to bite that bullet.
0: That's good. And <laughs> yeah. Have you Have you seen the physical one in your hand? I yet?
1: got the first physical one just a couple, just two weeks ago, and my god, what an exciting moment! Oh, it's yeah, amazing. incredible. And
0: I got I got some pre released because it was my mum's birthday, yeah, and I gave it to her for a birthday, and she cried and all that sort of stuff, and then she read it. And then she said, "It's taken me twenty years to find out what you actually do."
1: Oh, right. And she's like, "And now
0: and, I get it." And and she still doesn't. But she said, <laughs> "And I said, What do you mean?'" She goes, "Because every time I ask her what you do, so say same shit, different day." Like, yeah, I just I just do stuff, mum. And she goes, "Now I actually understand." And I said, "You don't yeah. really do." And she goes, "I have no idea." Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah. It's pretty funny because then when it's it's you, it makes sense to you, but then at the same time, um, when it's out there, you, you want to know, oh, how are people going to take that? All that sort of stuff. Yeah. And then. I'm actually just in the process of now recording the audio book. Yeah, so oh, I've actually nice. got to I've got to read the book.
1: Yes, how are you finding that?
0: I start this week, so I'm I'm actually a little bit nervous because I re- I wrote it so long ago. Yeah, exactly. Do you I'm feel going like to sit gonna... there and, and go, oh, who is this? What? what why did I do that? I should have yeah. done that. Well there might equally be buts, but
1: parts of it where you're like, Oh my god, this is actually this is pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> I did a good job of this. But well, yeah, no, I feel me. like it's kind of you know, I've also been thinking about, you know, I really should record record an audio version and things like that. I haven't quite gotten there yet, but
0: You'll have to come down, you can record it in this studio. It's oh all yours. thank you so much I might pick you up on that. You will then no problem at all. So <laughs> we now decided we're gonna row. Row yes. row row your boat mm-hmm. or row someone else's boat in this case. Yep. How did that sort of start? Well, why? Where did you hear about that and so how did that happen? So
1: I had, again, because I'd, I'd really started following a lot of adventurers online, so I knew that it was something that people had done. It's not something that a lot of people, it's a pretty obscure thing to do. But I'd always thought, so I'd known about it maybe three years previously and had always thought that looks like the most God-awful thing that you could ever want to do. So what sort of boat is it? So it's, it's pretty little. So I guess if you put your, put your arms out to the side, it's maybe just under your, a, you know an adult human's arm span. Yeah. Uh, about seven metres long. So mm-hmm. it's not very big. The sides of it are only like a foot off the water. So mm-hmm. when you get hit with waves and things, like you're, in, you're inside the wave basically. So oh. it's a very small boat.
0: And how long does it take to <coughs> paddle that far?
1: So it took us, we were at sea for 62 days.
0: Holy crap, where do you sleep? In the boat?
1: So, yeah, so there's a cabin at either end. So one of the cabins is, uh, it's really the size of, I guess, for lack of a better explanation, the size of a coffin. It doesn't have (laughs) a lot of extra space really at all. And then the stern cabin, it's got enough room for two people, but it's like two people that are in the fetal position. Okay. And you can just sort of sit up in it. Definitely no possibility of doing any standing up, even kneeling. It's too low for you to even kneel in.
0: Uh, you don't want to suffer from claustrophobia. No,
1: definitely not. On, on that as well, so the so these boats are created that if they capsize that they self-ride again. So if both of the cabin doors are shut, it sh- it's completely airtight, and then you put a lot of ballast in the bottom of the boat so that the bottom of the boat's very heavy. So if you capsize, then that big heavy weight is sitting at the top, and that's what helps bring it back around again.
0: Did you capsize?
1: So we never capsize. We had to do a capsize <laughs> test, but we came clo- You know, it's pretty hairy some of the time. But then the trick is in the cabins – when the doors are closed, you, you ultimately run out of air because it is completely airtight. So then you'd wake up sometimes in the middle of the night and be just hyperventilating. And you'd realise that you have to crack the door and get air in. So, yeah, it's pretty uh, – it's That's a challenging like so environment. so much fun. Oh, it's amazing.
0: <laughs> and you did, did you know these people before you went?
1: Uh, so they were – no, I didn't. So I found them online. There's this awesome website called Explorers Connect which okay. is where you find other batshit crazy people to do things <laughs> with you and you can't convince your own family and friends to do things Fair with call. you. Fair call, yeah. So that's where I found them. So I, I, found, I got onto this because I watched this documentary uh-huh. and it's called Losing Sight of Shore. I believe it's still on Netflix, so I would really encourage Losing you to go Losing Sight on, of? Um, of Shore.
0: Sure, okay. Losing Sight
1: of Shore and four British women that rode the Pacific. And after watching that, I still thought it looked really awful but it was awful in a really enticing way. And I knew that there were these periods of <laughs> immense joy combined with the awfulness, Yeah, you know, and you need to have the lows to be able to have the highs. Like you can never have one without the other. And so then it was straight afterwards. I jumped online, went on Explorers Connected and it was like ocean, ocean rowing teams. <clears throat> and I found one and I applied and you know, that was, that, yeah, they originally didn't accept me because their yep. crew was full. And then it wasn't until right before that I actually was formally asked to join the crew because I actually had an opening.
0: So there's three people in the boat. Yep. The other two were?
1: So, Kazlander and Megan Hoskin. So, they're both British. I yeah. hadn't met them until we all got out. They knew each other. They'd done a lot of training and, and different things like that. But and I only met before, them in yeah? California. Well, I only had six weeks. So, yes, I went to the gym every day and I was trying to row. What, for... what are you
0: using to row? Is it like a, a um, ski paddle or is it like sing, single paddle, so like a like dragon a, boat paddle? Um, or it's so, so like it's like oar. full
1: proper oars. Oh, okay. Yeah, that are in in so So, in two boat. oars. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and then two people can be rowing at a time yep. and then we did a shift pattern of, so we'd row for three hours on and then you'd have three hours off and then it's sort of this rotation. So I'd row my very first hour on the oars with Kaz yep. and then she'd roll off. I'd row the middle hour on my own and then in the last hour Meg would come out. So we each had, so we each had exactly the same shift pattern, just one hour different from Difference. each other. Yeah. And
0: you got two hands on each oar <laughs> or one hand on, you got two oars. Two oars. Yep. So yep. that you
1: can still like direct See everything and yeah.
0: And how do you keep on track?
1: So you've got a GPS, we have the GPS system, there's a repeater that's on the deck, and then you know that you're supposed to be rowing at a bearing, say, of 250, and yeah. then you're just trying to keep it on that bearing as much as humanly possible. <laughs> you set waypoints that are maybe 100 miles away, and, you know, luckily there's nothing to hit out there, so you just got to, Do you have any
0: big boats go past or anything?
1: Yeah. Um, So we were, we rode directly out of Monterey Bay into this giant storm. We knew nice. it was there, we knew it was going to happen, it was massive waves. So we were on – And
0: did that scare the shit out of you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was terrifying. You so you, you put out a parachute anchor. So you don't have a proper anchor because the boat's not big enough. So you put out this parachute that helps to stabilise the boat. The problem was – so we actually had to put out our parachute anchor. So we were on it for four days while we rowed out this storm because it was too it was too scary and too uh, dangerous to row. But so we were on parachute anchor in the middle of a shipping lane off the coast <laughs> of the US. And so then the AIS alarm goes off. So in the middle of the night it's like beep, beep, beep. And it goes off because there's somebody that's on a collision course with you. So, they're massive nice. cargo ships. They
0: can't but then see because you, we're
1: small – well, you've got a nav light, but it's tiny. <laughs> because we're small and unmaneuverable, it's our job, you know, so to, to radio whoever – um it's like honiara honiara this is ocean rowboat danielle um we are on a collision course we are unable to maneuver our position please like move out of the way basically so we're constantly radioing these other boats and saying you have to move because and did they we they? can't move yeah they have to yeah yep. and it's the same thing even when we're out. so that that shipping lane was probably the most busy sometimes it'd be a couple of times in the in the night and in the day that you know you'd have to instruct others to to move out of our way. And then often, though, they thought we were a life raft because we're this tiny orange boat.
0: So they stopped to the help.
1: And sometimes they'd be radioing. They'd be like, are you guys okay? Particularly in the middle of the Pacific, we had this one boat. It literally turned around and started coming towards us because they were like, what are you guys doing? Are you okay? So <laughs> it was very random a for them. Yeah, they no, were just <laughs> rowing to Hawaii. We're just going to be out here for 40 more days. We're fine. Thanks, though.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so 62 days in a boat with two women you don't know. Yep obviously you get to know them very quickly oh so well
1: (laughs) they know things about me and yeah we're all about each other yeah
0: and what happens at the end of it um like you rock up on shore people are cheering and doing all that sort of stuff and is it like oh wow we just what is that what's that feeling like compared to landing back in Plymouth on your pushy
1: yeah like I, I think both of the moments they're kind of similar right because it's it's this moment that you're always gunning for and you're always driving towards. And, you know, again, you've, you've been out there for two months and then all you're craving for and wanting for is this day. And then you, you get to the end of it and then this life that you've, this life that you've built and this life that you're used to. So the life at sea, it's really awful in some ways, but then it's so beautiful in other ways because it's simple. You're not going to work. You don't have a phone to answer. Nobody's emailing you. Nobody's texting you. There's no Instagram. There's no nothing. Which is both amazing and terrible, but then it's like you you have this really simple, beautiful world that then gets completely invaded by the outside world. But then it's amazing to get to land because you have a dry bed and food and all <laughs> this kind of thing. So it's this real, you know, truly like a bittersweet moment. I think, and it, amazing just to get there safely. You know, doing these things is is really highly risky as well. Not so much the cycle, but more the you road.
0: Were die? Was there oh. a time in the boat you thought? Yep, that's it. See a cat, not yeah. coming back.
1: Yeah, look. On one, so yeah, on one hand, yes, many, many times. Um,
0: but did you actually think you were going oh, to die?
1: It's hard to explain. Mean, like, so this is the thing, right? Yeah. So you're rowing. So because we rowed three hours on, three hours off, night and day. So it was a non-stop pattern, twenty four hours a day. So we never had you know more than three hours off. But the so the difficult, most difficult, most terrifying moments are rowing at night time. And at the beginning when we were sort of coming down the coast trying to make our way west, the waves are coming from side on. Uh And so at night time you can't see them. You can maybe see this black line of the horizon that's getting higher and higher and higher and then sometimes you hear the sound of this really loud roaring sound of broken water and you know that this wave is coming towards you and you you know know that you might capsize and you're sitting on the deck and you have no idea what's about to happen and then you feel the wave hit and sometimes you're completely engulfed with water you know you get hit by these waves and then you you then realize that you're like lying on the deck next to the you know next to your rowing seat because you've been completely obliterated by it and so but it all happens fairly quickly but I was always running these call them like the, the death scenarios in my head so if you if you cop a really bad wave if the if the boat capsizes, because you're tied on with, with like a, you know, to your your life vest with this one meter lead. But then let's say if the boat capsizes, it's not long enough that you could get your head up. So then do you grab the knife? There's like knives mounted on the deck. Do you grab the knife and do you cut yourself free? But then if you get separated from the boat, you are 100% dead, but you're just going to have a slower death than if you say, you know, drowned underneath the water, if you get hit in the head and knocked out with an oar. So there are so many ways that you can get seriously injured or die. So it was sort of this concept that I realised out there just how close we are to death almost all the time. But in terms of I I never really had a moment where I truly thought I was going to die, but a lot of time contemplating it and a lot of time being very, very scared. Like I spent nights crying like and cried through the entire night because I was so scared multiple times.
0: And were you all there to support each other or were you more like just pull yourself together type thing? Like, yeah, no. Do you have everybody to be harsh was... on each other, or, or how do you deal with those situations?
1: So we'd, we we were really supportive of each other. Um, we I think we did a really good job of we we made a strong commitment to each other before we left land that we wanted to get to the end and still be friends. There were lots of times where we had to sort of hit a reset button because you know things get on your nerves of a lot course. more easily out there than they normally do, um, but. The thing that really helped us was we made such a strong commitment at the beginning that we were going to get to the end and still be friends and still support each other no yeah. matter what. And I think that's what really held us together. But, no, they were, you know, Megan, and Kaz, they're incredible people. I wouldn't have rather do it, do it with anybody else. So we all struck it probably are pretty you still lucky. now? Yeah, we are. Yeah, I talk to them, yeah, almost daily probably. Oh, really? Yeah.
0: That's amazing. So what do we do after we break these two world, world records? We've cycled across Europe. Is sort of cat sitting there going, Look, You can calm down now. Like, <laughs> I want you to stay home, or is she? It'd be interesting. <laughs> you
1: could ask her that question when I'm not in the room and see what she
0: says. Um, what does she say to you, though? Like, so I, does she I think you're nuts.
1: Yes, but, but that's a good thing. Um, yeah, you know, because be I am, I think. So it's like I can, I can accept that that is somewhat true. <laughs> you know, like I'm really lucky to have found cat because she. She understands that that is part of my nature and yeah. that she can't try and suppress it because it's just probably not going to work out too well. Um, I remember g up for a conversation with her before, I guess when I'd spoken to the crew on the phone, because I said to her, like, look, I might be going to Rowan Ocean in eight weeks. I'm going to have a chat to them on a video call and I'll see if it goes well and we'll see what happens. And I remember speaking to them, but I was trying to just, you know, allay her fears a little bit. And after I got off the phone to them, I knew that I was going to go 100%. I was like, yeah, it's definitely happening. So I G'd myself up for this hardcore conversation with her and I thought we were both going to be really upset. And it was less than five minutes and she's like, "She's like, I know you've got to go. I, just, I know you've got to go. And I was just astonished and astounded by the way that she reacted. And that's how I know she's a keeper
0: called True um, Love.
1: That's right. It surely is. So, no, there's definitely, there's going to be more adventures. We really need to go on a long distance. If I go on another long distance adventure and I don't take her with me, I will be dead. <laughs>
0: <laughs> she's like, you keep doing these things without me. So, Why she's are you got doing the this? adventure bone in her body too, you reckon? She
1: does, yeah. And she's been, you know, she was like a professional cricketer. Like, if you talk about, you know, she was like truly sporty and is like very athletic. Yeah. Um. So, she's probably better qualified to be an adventurer than I am so if I'm honest not that I want to really advertise that too widely she'll get a big head if if she hears me say that. We can't do that so we won't let her listen to that part of the podcast. Stop listening cat.
0: How's that sound? Okay so a couple of questions I like to always finish my podcast (laughs) with. What's your greatest achievement in life? Oh wow
1: um that is a hard question.
0: Someone that's done so much at such a young age
1: Oh, I, I don't know. I always just move the goalpost, though, as well. Yeah. And Enos is like, okay, I've done this. Okay, next thing. Um, Look, I think maybe the biggest achievement, the thing that I'm maybe the most proud of is taking a path that isn't the the traditional path and questioning, I don't know, maybe the, the status quo and deciding to be a, a young, pale, ginger woman of barely possible <laughs> fitness and going like, I am going to cycle across a country and I am going to go on Rowan Ocean. The funniest thing that happens to me these days, is if somebody finds out that I've done this thing in conversation, I'm like, oh, I rode across the Pacific Ocean. And they sort of look me up and down almost as if to say, what, (laughs) you? (laughs) And I'm like, yes, me. Um, So I don't know. It's Maybe it's it's not being proud of maybe one particular achievement. It's maybe that I'm more excited about the – that anything is is a possibility, that it's having – maybe I'm appreciative of being able to have a mindset to go, okay, yeah, let's give anything a go. Who cares? I'm going to go to space one day.
0: Good on you. That's awesome. Okay. <laughs> Personal people who have had the m- biggest influence on your life?
1: Oh, um, so the first one that probably comes to mind, he's actually been a guest on your podcast. Has he? Uh, Who's Mr, that? Mr. Aaron Birkby. Aaron. So he – We um, just re-released
0: his on call. Yes, uh, I saw. Yeah, 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 really good.
1: Um, so he became a mentor of mine a couple of years ago when I opened this business in Bundaberg and I was completely floundering and had no idea what I was doing. And he has been so pivotal in helping me, I don't know, I think like develop business skills, develop self-belief, develop, you know, really good foundational habits on a day-to-day basis. Um, And it's just been a really incredible friend. Uh, So he's been super pivotal in terms of, you know, who I, who I've become maybe in the last couple of years. He's been massive. Another one um, from school is a teacher called Mr. Archidiacono. He was born in Sicily. And he set up this Italian immersion program. So we did Italian and maths. Uh, we did, sorry, maths and science in Italian at school. Oh, wow. And then we got to go on exchange. Um, I So I got to go overseas to Italy for the first time when I was in year 10. And we went to school there and we um, stayed with the family and we spoke the language the whole time. So, again, I think when I think back to really pivotal times and experiences and people that have helped create a mindset to be able to go and, and conquer whatever it is, that was also really important. Because he never treated us as students he always treated us you know almost as as just fellow peers and he wanted to share with us his life experience and instilled in us these really strong values yeah and I think you know having that experience at at a young age of going to another country and realizing that even though they speak a different language and everything looks different they're just the same as we are so that has instilled a lot of confidence in me as well to be able to go and do these kinds of things.
0: That's awesome so do you still speak Italian?
1: Oh, I'm pretty rusty now, but yeah. I'm still very, still good friends with, with Mr. A and, and, you know, his family and things like that. So he was, you know, another teacher at school, so our parents are good friends as well.
0: Love it. Okay, the quick choir questions. Here we go. Favourite food? Pasta. Favourite song?
1: Ooh, um, Higher Love right now by Kygo.
0: Hmm, Favourite place in the world?
1: Mm, maybe the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Really? Maybe. Did you see any whales? Yeah, thought, yeah a few. Oh, I saw like a cool. pilot whale at the end. Wondered if it was a killer whale, but it wasn't. Sadly.
0: <laughs> sadly, <laughs> what's next for Eleanor the adventurer?
1: Uh, so releasing this book, saddle Saw, finishing the rowing book. Um, what's the rowing book called? It d- doesn't have a It doesn't have a title yet.
0: Row, row, row your boat. Just a
1: lot of pain and salt. Um, <laughs> oh, I like that. And then I'm thinking that the next adventure is going to be a human powered circumnavigation of Iceland in maybe May or April next year. With cat. With cat, if she's not otherwise, occupied. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'll tell you what, this has been one of my favorite podcasts. I really, <laughs> really, really love your story. and oh, thank you. <laughs> when you get back from Iceland, can you come and see us again? Yeah, and we have another sure, chat? absolutely. That would be awesome. Thanks so much. As far as I'm concerned, you're an awesome human. <laughs> thanks for coming on the podcast and just be awesome. You're great. Thank Keep you. Thanks up. for
1: having me, Brett. Really appreciate it. i had an awesome time too.
0: <laughs> thanks very much. <laughs> thank Cheers. You. Hey guys, thanks for listening. What an amazing human. Don't forget to hit us up on all the social channels at BJMacker and look out for more 8 podcasts.